This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by Petrox. As one of the world's largest energy providers, it is our mission to develop and apply the best quality innovations to meet the world's growing need for clean energy. Don't run the risk of filling up your Cadillac with mule piss. Choose Petrox. You'll be glad you did. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Steven. Hello, everyone. Uh, <laughs> we've been having some technical difficulties today, so uh, I think instead, yeah. of, instead of going through all the pleasantries, let's just jump straight into it. <laughs> that, that works for me. All right. So we starting off on our news segment with some sad news. Um, we had the passing of an actor who played in the Ultraman 1980 series, Jin Nakayama. And he passed okay. away at 77 just earlier this week um, on the 11th, I think is when he passed away, either the 10th or the 11th. Um, he mm-hmm. was uh, he played Captain Kazuki Oyama. In Ultraman 1980 or Ultraman 80, uh, so um, it's you know a little bit of sad news starting off because uh, it's always sad to hear you know that we have somebody in the world of kaiju films and everything that passed away. But uh, um, I'm not as familiar with his work because I haven't made it as far as watching Ultraman 80. But uh, I figured that would be it would be a disservice to the work that he did and the. Uh, everything that he did uh, to not mention him, you know, and his passing. Um, So I wanted to start off mentioning that. Um, The only other news item that we've had for this week is Screen Rant. Put out an article. Oh, boy. (laughs) I... Okay, so Screen Rant put out an article, 10 Movie Monsters More Powerful Than Godzilla. Now... Screen Rant is known for having very clickbait articles and and stories. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't surprise me. In fact, this would not have been a news story for me at all if it had not been circulated on Twitter and Facebook and everything so much. But I I have to say, I actually find this article hilarious. (laughs) It's, I mean, come on. With whatever they put together, you, I'm, I'm under the assumption someone either did this for two reasons. One, they clearly know nothing about the character and were just trying to put something together just to, to write an article. Or B, they did it to make a lot of people angry, and I think it worked from what I could see on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It definitely worked in that. Now, yeah, that's that's been my big question about this article is, was this intentionally done to make people angry and to get that response and to get the clicks? Because angry people are going to go click on it and read it. It worked for me. I don't usually click on stuff from Screen Rant and here I am reading Mm -hmm. it. But uh, I'm, I'm not really sure how much of it was intentional and how much of it was just uh ignorance to the the material but 
it's really, really, there's a lot of bad information, missing information, information, and just all around weirdness. Uh, yeah. Nothing about it makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, especially when your headline is more powerful than Godzilla. Okay. That's, that's the key element to the list. That's what you're saying. These creatures are more powerful than Godzilla. And yet for most of them, I don't feel like they made any kind of decent argument to back that up. They yeah. just threw out names and said, here you go. Yeah, that they could, they could probably, you know, beat yeah. him. It's fine. Sure. Now I do want to, I do want to preface talking about this article as a, as a podcast, we are not the kind of people who are going to make fun of someone for not knowing Godzilla history, giant monster history. We as a podcast are really about opening the world of giant monster movies up to everyone, whether you're a longtime mm -hmm. fan or whether you are a new fan. So I want no one to think that this is making fun of somebody for, oh, you know, you're not a true Godzilla fan or you're not a true Kaiju fan. It's like, right. in fact, in the, from what I've seen in the Kaiju fan community, I haven't seen as much of that, like gatekeeping as I have seen in like the star Wars fan community or the comic book mm -hmm. fan community. Like you see in star Wars fan community, Oh, you can't be a true star Wars fan. If you weren't born in the time that where the original trilogy was coming out and you watched them as a kid, or you can't be right. a fan, a true Star Wars fan, if you like this thing, or you can't name the planet so that they're in the core, the galaxy core, and all the It's just, it's really, it's such bad gatekeeping, and it prevents new fans from coming in. It prevents new fans from wanting to take part in this thing that exactly. you love. And I think that's really wrong. So I definitely want to make sure people understand when we poke fun at this article or talk about this article, we're not doing that. Exactly. But at, at the same time, if you are a writer for a website, even if it is a silly, dumb website that talks about movie news or whatever, you've got to put some effort into your research for sure. to make sure that what you're putting out there is factual mm -hmm. and this just isn't <laughs> no far from factual like some of them i can't even wrap my head around because it's just it's frustrating i don't i mean yeah I, like you said i don't want to tear anybody apart but whoever wrote this clearly has no idea what they're doing again unless they were doing it to just get a rise out of everyone and I'm I'm willing to lean toward that theory, but at the same time, some of the information that was thrown in there makes me think otherwise. I think number eight on that list was the one that mm -hmm. just really kind of stuck out as clearly they have no idea what they're talking about because number eight on that list was Gauss, which is from yes. the Gamera series. And they said yes. that he was a notable kaiju in the Godzilla universe. I'm like, no, 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 that, no, it's wrong. Absolutely. What are you talking about? So. Right. I don't, and actually. <laughs> I don't know. And I was actually going to, I was going to check with you and see if you wanted to do this. Um, since I have the article pulled up, I don't know if you have it right there, but I have the article pulled up. 
if you wanted, since it's a slow news week, to just go through some of these and let's give our own thoughts sure. on some of these ones in this list. Mm-hmm. So this list, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. <laughs> okay, good. It's it's written by Madison Lennon. Okay. I do not know anything about her. I know she has written multiple uh, articles for Screen Rant, so she's not a new person. She's submitted articles before. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to judge her as a person. But let's start reading this. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. The opening paragraph Monster movies are some of the best in the horror genre, although sometimes monsters can be introduced in other genres as well, such as comedy or drama, depending on what you're in the mood to watch. Now, Not bad. Would you would you really put monster movies in a horror section? Because I kind of feel like they lean towards sci-fi more than they do horror. Well, I think it, I think it also depends. Because yeah. you do have more horror uh, monster movies, and then you have the more sci-fi monster movies. So I, I don't think that's necessarily wrong to say that they are horror genre, but then they also kind of transcend into other genres as well. Fair enough. Okay. She goes on to say, most people hear monster movie and immediately think of the big name stars like Godzilla and King Kong, but there are plenty of other monstrous beings out there in the film world. We're measuring up some of the biggest and meanest beasts in Hollywood and beyond to see who can overpower the mighty Godzilla. Now, here's the thing. I don't understand why. Why? Like, I mean, I get it. There, It's a whole subculture of fandom that want to put this versus that, this versus that, and, and say who would win in a fight, this versus that. I don't see the point in that. No. <laughs> I mean, it is fun to hypothesize what could work, but... Out of all these monsters on this list, I honestly, maybe one or two that seem like something I would actually want to see. And then there are others that I look at and I'm like, but we've done that. So why are they on this list? (laughs) But we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. So starting with number 10, uh, she starts with the Pacific Rim Kaiju. Okay. Not not a bad. Now, I'm not completely against the idea that the Pacific Rim Kaiju could take on Godzilla mm-hmm. and I don't know about beating him but could possibly take him on but that you know this is all my opinion on that but she starts off with Pacific Rim is a lesser known blockbuster series is it <laughs> was it yeah was it lesser known <laughs> yeah I thought they were pretty popular I know there's only been two but you know I think people are fairly aware of them I mean you want to talk about a lesser known monster movie you go with like garuda or yeah. you go with you know any of the <laughs> just young gary some of those yeah not not pacific rim like pacific yeah. rim was a was a you know well well received movie pretty much i mean i know it didn't do super duper high like avengers level but it's mm-hmm. like people know what it is yeah exactly so yeah i'm already kind of taking note with that like you said it's just eh, they're they're well known especially being uh, american monster movies in in a loose term i guess to say people know yeah. what they are they they were well 
uh, advertised. They were they were out and uh, out and about. And hell, how many times have we yeah. heard? Oh yeah, we're, they're going to cross over the Pacific Rim monsters with Godzilla. That would be cool, right? And people have thought about that and talked about that, but I don't think it's happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number nine is an interesting one because this one. I'm, I am kind of curious on, it's the aliens or the xenomorphs. They don't, they don't even mention the actual xenom, uh, the name xenomorphs. Um, which is which brings question to her credibility. I'm sorry. That's, that's going to be my nerd yeah. cred right there, just saying, if you know what you're talking about, you call them xenomorphs. But I'm, yeah. I'm going to let that slide. I'm going to let it slide. <laughs> so uh, they, they talk about the numbers of them and... I mean, I, I these these I'm not completely against the idea that they might be able to just overwhelm and take out Godzilla because I mean these xenomorphs have shown they are just no matter how hard you try to destroy them they keep coming back. It's just one of those. It's because mm-hmm. they are in the horror genre more than sci-fi. They're right. just like just like a Freddy or a Jason or a, you just can't. They keep coming back. You can't keep them down. So. So I'm not completely against that, but uh, that was an interesting one. Um, the then we, only I, I do want to touch on that briefly. I would uh-huh, say yeah. that Godzilla would stomp on them, uh, obliterate them. Uh, I don't think their acid yeah. blood would have any effect on him since he takes a uh, nuclear bomb like it's just a drink and chugs it down. But I would right. say, hypothetically, this would be awesome. I would love to see someone's concept artwork of an alien or xenomorph Godzilla hybrid. Oh, because yeah. they take the oh, shape yeah. and form of whatever they infect. Tell me that would not be a cool design. I don't know what it would oh, look yeah. like, but I would love to see someone come up with that concept conceptually. Um. Then we get to number eight, the one you were mentioning earlier, yeah. Gaios. <laughs> so, Gaios is one of many notable kaiju in the Godzilla universe. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, eh, wrong. Um, the monstrous being is somewhat bat-like and resembles a pterodactyl. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> the Muto creature in Gareth Edwards' Godzilla 2014 are very similar to the design of Gaios. No, no, I can't say they are, but <laughs> they um actually the design for the Mutos is is actually inspired by some of the creatures in the Dark Crystal, not Gaios. So no huh. Yeah. Yeah, that was um there was I uh, was listening to an interview with one of the people involved in the film and they said yeah that that was kind of inspired and the same with Rodan in uh Godzilla King of the Monsters that was mm-hmm. kind of inspired by the bird creatures in the uh, Dark Crystal. Uh, I can't remember their name, but yeah. I can't either. Uh, then it says, Gaios can shoot laser beams out of his mouth, not unlike Godzilla. Godzilla uh, doesn't shoot laser beams. Uh, God. <laughs> uh. <laughs> when does Godzilla shoot laser beams? <laughs> Clearly. Like, someone's like, okay, watching people- from a distance. <laughs> People calling it fire breath, I'm at least a little bit more forgiving of because it does kind of look like blue fire. Yeah. It's actually concentrated radiation or radioactive energy that he's shooting out. It's it's 
yeah. <laughs> but to say he shoots laser beams out of this mouth, I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they did edit the article after they first posted it because of so many people reacting to it. And they okay. included this line, which kind of fixed everything. Everything in the article is fixed now because they included this line. Gaios was part of the Gamera series for a long time, which was a monster very similar to Godzilla. But Gaius was also present in several Godzilla films as well. No, no, he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, um, for anybody who's not aware, because um, like I said, I want to leave this podcast, make it available to people who are not fans of these movies as much as it is for people who are hardcore fans. Gamera is another giant monster, just like Godzilla, but he comes from a competing studio. Mm -hmm. So the idea that a monster from Gamera would appear in a Godzilla film is almost the equivalent of saying something like Captain Kirk would appear in Star Wars or, right. or like a, a Spider-Man would appear in the next Superman movie. Um, now, now, don't get me, I, now, don't get me wrong. That would be cool. Oh yeah, for sure. But it ain't happening. <laughs> no. Now we'll say, and this this may be where she's getting her misinformation is Toho has distributed the mm -hmm. Gamera movies before, but that does not mean they are involved. There's a completely different a complete difference between producing it and distributing it. There are I mean there are companies right. and studios that distribute movies uh, across the seas right. to to you know China and whatnot, and, and it's not the studio that made the movie it's another studio just filling in saying hey we'll take the d distribution over here but they they get nothing more than maybe a distribution fee out of it so understanding that from a technical point of view from the from the back just understand that just because toho's name's on it doesn't mean they were involved they just distributed they put it out in the world that's it right yeah and the only thing i can think of is that this person uh madison lennon uh is that she is confusing Rodan with Gaios. And that's what Perhaps, got yeah. her confused. Um, number seven, the Cloverfield monster. Uh, the And this one's not, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree that it could take on Godzilla, but there's nothing factually wrong in the paragraph. Right. Um, the Cloverfield monster is pretty terrifying due to the strange pink sacks on its head. Is that really why it's so terrifying? No, no, I haven't really thought about it. the pink sacks on his head ever since I saw the movie. So, I mean, it's like you don't see this giant monster. It's like, oh, you know, it would be fine if it just wasn't for those big pink sacks on the oh back of its head. Gosh, oh, my. so terrifying. <laughs> God. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> no idea. She's she's reaching here. Now, to yeah, it, oh, I, I, and I did say there was there wasn't anything factually wrong. There is something factually wrong. It had uh, she mentions it has its a uh, an ability to produce miniature alien versions of itself. Uh, that is not true. In that movie, there are smaller monsters that come mm -hmm. off of the bigger monster, but those are more like parasites, like mites or ticks that might be on a a wild animal and. That's what they were. They were not smaller versions of the Cloverfield monster. Right. Um, so, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> Gosh. I mean, it would be an interesting fight, don't get me wrong, but 
I don't think it's going to be more powerful than Godzilla. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Yeah, nah, nah. Um, number six is an interesting one because it's actually a Toho monster. It's Kumanga, uh, which is the giant spider that Godzilla has fought multiple times. And guess what? Godzilla has beaten Kumanga every time they fought. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Again, factually inaccurate. Not more powerful. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if your argument of this monster could beat Godzilla is, and your evidence is the movies that they've fought in and Godzilla's won. Like, that that just seems a little bit. Uh Then we get down to number five. Now, this one is another Toho monster. This one, I'm going to give her credit for because this one, King Ghidorah, Godzilla has beaten King Ghidorah multiple times, but... There have been many times where King Ghidorah has either come close to beating Godzilla or has actually beaten Godzilla. In fact, Mecha King Ghidorah is what beats Godzilla in the 90s film. Mm-hmm. So that one I'll give her credit for. But He should be higher up on the list. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to argue that the one monster that has went toe to toe with him and beaten him damn near senselessly then yeah you need to put him a little higher up on the list because again the farther we go down this list you're going to be like no wait a minute okay the one person that's done it he's only halfway through no 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 so uh, i got issues with that too yeah and going back to things that are factually correct or incorrect um the paragraph reads you can easily understand why Ghidorah is such a threat due to the fact he can fly breathe fire Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Ghidorah does not breathe fire. He shoots electricity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He has always done that. He's never breathed fire. Um, And has three heads, which is, yeah, actually true. Um, Even at the end of King of the Monsters, it is hinted that Ghidorah could return to life during the movie's post-credit scene. It is plausible that we may see the beast once again in the upcoming Kong vs. Godzilla. That's a huge leap. As far yeah. as I know, he's not coming back in in Kong versus Godzilla. Plausible, but, yeah. but not. It's it, what we're working off there is rumors. You know, rumors right. of what that end credit scene. If you haven't seen the end credit scene to King of the Monsters, spoilers three, two, one. They had a his head found uh, by some of the the people. We may have even talked about that in the other episode. We've already spoken about this. So, anyway, yeah, it's yeah. it's stretch. You know that they could be setting up something farther on down the line. There's no there's no factual evidence to to suggest that he's going to be in that movie. Yeah, yeah. They uh, <laughs> in that in that closing credit scenes, they found Kevin floating in the water. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see, see Kevin. Uh, I love, I love. So much that the internet turned one of Ghidorah's heads into a meme, Mm. named him Kevin, and just, I am in love with Kevin. (laughs) Kevin. Why Kevin? (laughs) I think that was my big question. Why Kevin? (laughs) I am not sure. I don't know where that comes from, but I just love it. I love it so much. The internet can make anything a meme, and it is brilliant. So Mm -hmm. I'm all for it. Uh, number four, King Kong. Now, okay. this is another one that factually, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, he could, he could, he could win because he has won against. He Godzilla. has won. That's right. So he should be number one. 
because he's won. Right. He's done it. Right. <laughs> Therefore, like, end of story. You know, you've got your number one right there. That's the one monster that has actually beaten Godzilla. But the thing is, I don't think Madison is aware that they have fought before because nowhere in the paragraph that she writes about King Kong does she mention the Godzilla versus King Kong movie from the 60s. Of course and in not. Fact, <laughs> in fact, it says the debate about who would win between Kong and Godzilla has waged for decades. We'll see. A, we will see the two come to blows on the big screen in 2020. We've already seen them come to blows. Uh, yes, we have. So <laughs> clearly she's pointed out her ignorance in this, in just that one paragraph saying that she probably got handed this assignment to write this article and she was like, I don't know anything. And they're like, just just make it up. And she's like, okay. So she just slapped together whatever she could do with what information she had. And boy, she she botched it. See, I don't know if that's how it went down, though, because with websites like this, I don't think you're given certain assignments and stuff. I think you come to them with an article that and then they, you know, will accept it or approve it or edit it, you know, whatever. Uh, So I have a feeling that she saw that Godzilla's 65th anniversary was recent. Everyone's Mm -hmm. talking about Godzilla versus Kong. And she's like, well, we need to do something Godzilla related because that's what's trending right now. I'm just going to write a quick article about monsters I think could beat Godzilla. Not having any idea anything about Godzilla. Again, no no judgment for not knowing about Godzilla. That's perfectly fine. Come listen to the podcast. You will enjoy it, Madison Lennon. (laughs) Well, I mean, what your your point here is, though, this is a I mean, you're trying to to put together a list to really showcase who really could take him on. And you are so factually inaccurate on so many levels that it's right. It's it's embarrassing. A little integrity. Yeah. And and even the editor, I'll even give him that if she handed this into her editor and said, I got my list and they looked over it and said, this looks great. They're ridiculous, too, because clearly they have no idea. It's, again, not not trying to yeah. knock anybody. I'm not trying to be on a pedestal, but there's a, there's a, you don't want anyone tearing up and, and crapping all over something you love in such a way. And that's what I feel like this list does. They don't yeah. care. Yeah. That's, that's why I'm wondering how much of it was intentional, because yeah. it's like, are you intentionally trying to upset people? Which is why I read it and I laugh at it. I don't. I don't get angry about it because it feels like, well, then that's just feeding into it. So it's sure. like, no, I, I sit here and laugh at like the, the ridiculousness of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Number three is a one that I laugh at because it's the host from the movie, the host. It's a mm-hmm. South Korean monster film that uh, was, is pretty well received by yeah. most people. But could this monster beat Godzilla? Now, look, from what I remember, the movie was good. I'll give it that. Uh, but I don't remember it doing a lot of chaos and carnage beyond eating the occasional bits of Korean food. Uh, hey-yo, ha-ha. Mm. But beyond that, <laughs> I mean, it didn't. It just came out of the water. It ate people, and then it went back into the water. And uh, granted, there's a lot more to the movie that we'll unpack at a later date. But I'm just saying, Yeah. 
it didn't do anything to the levels of Ghidorah standards where it was just destructive beyond measure that Godzilla could not take this thing on. Right. Right. So, yeah, it could easily light it ablaze with its uh, nuclear laser beam and, uh, you know. <laughs> just saying. Well, the thing that gets me is because this monster is basically like a, a it, it's a mutated fish. Mm-hmm. And it's only about the size of a minivan. It's not yeah, really exactly. that big. So he could so just stomp on it. I would put the xenomorphs higher up on there than this one. Sure. Um, but again, going back to what's factually correct and you know and wrong, um, she does list out here that the monster is uh, appears to be a mutated fish. And it would undoubtedly have the upper hand should it and Godzilla fight in the sea. How? Because, <laughs> because you know, Godzilla is just no good in the water. Oh, he, no. He, he's completely land-based. Yeah, <laughs> we've never seen him swim at all. Yeah, there's just no... I can't... Just in all of the 65 years of Godzilla history, I can't picture Godzilla in the water ever. No, never, never, ever, ever. Uh, see, we got to be careful with sarcasm because there are people who may not be as familiar with Godzilla films who are like, well, maybe Godzilla isn't from the water. It's like, no, no, we're being sarcastic. Yeah, very, because I don't recall how many scenes did we see of him swimming in the trailer to King of the Monsters. Even if you never saw the movie mm. in its entirety, there were many scenes of him swimming. Uh, uh, my head hurts. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's qu- well, I'll quickly get through. Number two, real quick, it's the monster from Colossal, which is the Anne Hathaway, Jason Sudeikis movie. Um, no, I've, they, not, is, I've not seen that, so I can't speak to this monster's uh, abilities. So I don't know. The only thing the monster does have going for it is it is the same size as Godzilla. Okay. Um, it is a huge monster. Now, outside of that, I can't think of what the monster could do. Because I have seen it. And to be fair, I didn't enjoy the movie. Now, a lot of people seem to enjoy it. And that's mm-hmm. perfectly fine. For me, I did not enjoy it. Okay. Um, I, it at least would be an interesting fight, if nothing else. Sure. And that's, I mean, that that would be fine. You know, don't say it's more powerful than Godzilla, but hey, would it be an interesting fight to watch him uh, engage in? Sure. We'll give him that. Right. Yeah. And then we're, then we get down to number one. And <laughs> this Yeesh. one's a doozy. <laughs> this one's a doozy. And I love it. I love it. Because, number one, uh, the creatures from Tremors. By the way, yep. they are named... Graboids. Yes. Yes. <laughs> they do have a name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, I love Tremors. So love I don't it, want yes. anybody to think that I do not love Tremors. Yeah, but I'm at with the you. same time, these giant slug worm things that are about the size, again, of a minivan. <laughs> yeah. Are not going to take on Godzilla. Absolutely not. No matter what traps they set, because I think that was something in her paragraph that they could, they're underground. Ooh, okay, but how are they going to get him? How are they going to get him? One is about right. as big as his toenail. That's about right, it. Right, exactly. And I mean, they lose to Kevin Bacon. Yes. In that movie. 
they get blown up constantly. Like, like the, the thing that about the Graboids is, yes, they're terrifying for humans, but at the same time, the humans do take out many of them. They mm-hmm. blow them up throughout the series. They are constantly being blown up and killed. And there's just a whole bunch of them. They just keep coming back. But against Godzilla? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's... He... There's what do, what does she expect him to do? They get a whole herd of graboids and they're just gonna try to yank him down under the ground. No way. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. No. And even if they manage to pull him into the ground, I still don't think they would what would they do with him? Yeah, they exactly. Can't eat him. We're just gonna <laughs> poke at his skin, try to try to just take a bite out of him. Yeah, no way they're gonna pierce his skin with their little worm tongue. No way. I love graboids, yeah. but no way. <laughs> So, okay, well, that's 10 movie monsters more powerful than Godzilla. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Oh, well, it was fun. (laughs) If nothing else, it was fun. (laughs) It's amusing. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, we, we, yeah, it it definitely, it was good for a slow news week, so, Mm -hmm. and I laughed at it, so, um, I'm just surprised she didn't put Zilla from the 98 Godzilla. I in mean, there. why not? <laughs> Clearly yeah. she hasn't seen the movie, so she didn't know what happened to him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Well, that's enough for the news for this week. We had fun. Let's mm-hmm. move on to the main topic of our episode this week. Yes. Now, last week I asked the trivia question, uh, and we did get some responses. Mm-hmm. All right, so my trivia question last week was, which movie featured large animatronic gorilla hands that the puppeteers made flip the bird to the producer while on set, only to have them break down and be stuck in that position for a week? And one person that wrote in with a guess was Phil Better who is a fellow podcaster. He has a podcast that you guys can go and check out. Phil Better. Uh, I think it's... uh, The Phil Better Show. Yeah, The Phil Better Show. I was going to say, I think the show is named just The Phil Better Show. I was trying to think. I was like, no, that didn't sound right. But then I was like, no. (laughs) Um, But his his, uh, response was, what is Mighty Joe Young? This is not Jeopardy. You don't get any extra points (laughs) for putting it into the form of a question. (laughs) Um, but that's actually a good guess because, you know, uh, Mighty Joe Young did use some animatronic and puppete- uh, puppetry for Giant Gorilla, but mm-hmm. that is not the right answer. Uh, but we give you a shout out anyway. We also had an answer from Brian, who we read his email out last week, mm-hmm. and he wrote in uh, this week to give us an answer. And he said his guess was the King Kong movie from 1976. Boom. And that would be... Yep, that would be correct, Brian. It is the 1976 King Kong movie, uh, starring Jeff Bridges, Charles Grodin, Jessica Lange, John Randolph, and Rick Baker as King Kong himself. Mm-hmm. He was the man in the suit. It was directed by John Guillermin and produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Who is a... Now, uh... Very interesting man, I'll say that. I'm going to leave it there for now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. This movie. <laughs> okay, let me start off. Let's start off our discussion 
with me telling you what I had to go through to watch this movie. Okay. <laughs> because this movie is available on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I have Amazon Prime. Yay. I'm going to watch it. I go to watch it. Amazon Prime is shut down or is not working. So I'm like, okay, well, then I guess I will watch it later. I have to go on a business trip. So I end up not being able to watch it earlier in the week. So I'm like, okay, well, I tell you what, I'll just invite one of my friends. My cousin is down visiting from Tennessee. So we'll just all get together and we'll watch this movie just make a night of it. My friend ends up canceling because she couldn't make it. That's fine. But, you know, mm-hmm. me and my cousin, we'll just, well, we'll watch the movie then. Go to try to watch it. Amazon is still not working. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll just go on to the website I use to watch a lot of my foreign monster movies because mm-hmm. a lot of the ones are, that are hard to find here in the United States. I'll go on to that website and watch it. I find a copy of it on there. I go to watch it, and it's dubbed in, I don't know what language it was dubbed in, because it's a language <laughs> I do not recognize at all. So it wasn't any of the Latin-based languages or Japanese. It was some other language. Uh, so I'm like, well, not watching that one. Can't find an English-dubbed one or an English uh, an original English one. It's not right. dubbed. So I'm like, well, maybe I can rent it. I go to the app that I usually used to rent my movies, it's not available on there to rent. Good Lord. And so then I'm looking around, I'm like, well, I could rent it from Amazon, but why would I rent it from Amazon when Amazon Prime has it for free? It's just that the app is not working. Right. (laughs) So I finally, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to put it down. I'm going to watch it. I finally, finally, after getting home at six o'clock in the morning today from work, I decided I'm going to watch it. End up falling asleep this morning and having to watch it right before the podcast, right, right <laughs> before we record the podcast. So it's just like this whole ordeal. The universe has told me, do not watch this movie. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. And so <laughs> uh, it, it, it's been an experience. And I don't know if that's going to color my opinion about this movie or not. But let me tell you, it has been an experience trying to watch this movie. That's fine. No. <laughs> Do you want to do the quick plot breakdown for this movie? <laughs> sure. Now, for most people, you'd know what the basic plot of Kong is. you got a group of people on a boat. They wind up on the, the island, but this takes a different twist to the, uh, the lore of Kong. Uh, and this time, it's a oil tanker. It's an oil tycoon, I guess. Well, I guess he's really not the tycoon. He's he's with the company. He's one of the head guys of the Petrox yeah. company. There, they they possibly found uh, that there could be oil on Skull Island. Which, fun fact, they never call it Skull Island in the movie, not once. But anyway, yeah. uh, he gets some uh, some satellite images, and they they're under the assumption there could be oil there because of the big the dense fog. So they go there to find it. And what do they find? Uh, there's a tribe of people, and they're worshiping something, and they don't know what it is. And, of course, it's Kong. And then the girl gets swept in, and I'm going to get into that in a little bit. And then the, everything ensues. they gotta, they got to rescue the girl from Kong, and then they, they capture Kong, and they bring him back to New York. And then, of course, he wreaks havoc in New York. And then there's your movie. That's, that's the basic premise of your movie. Yeah. 
I mean, it's King Kong. Most it's people King Kong. know King Kong. Sure. <laughs> it's fairly basic. Um, now, I want to ask you something. Do you want to discuss the movie itself first, or do you want to discuss the behind-the-scenes stuff? Because both are separate stories that we could talk about for a long time mm-hmm. that we're going to have to cut short just because we don't want to be talking about forever. Right. So which one do you want to start with? <laughs> um, I'd say let's let's focus on the behind-the-scenes stuff first because I think once we get into the, to our likes and dislikes, we'll be talking about the movie as a whole. So let's, let's go ahead and do behind-the-scenes. Okay. Okay. So um, what did you want to start with on the behind-the-scenes stuff? Well... I think the first thing I would like to talk about is essentially what got this movie off the ground because I, on my other podcast, we kind of lightly touched on this uh, briefly in in one of our past episodes here recently only because Mm -hmm. of the uh, story about how it got made because essentially what started, there's there's two conflicting stories that I found about why this Mm -hmm. movie got made to begin with. There's one that... um, I think it was Michael Eisner from who was like head of ABC at the time. He saw it on mm-hmm. TV and he was like, oh, I want to remake this movie. So he was trying to find a way to get it remade. And then Dino De Laurentiis, he was kind of wanting to get it remade as well. So he went to Paramount and he was trying to get all the deals going. Universal also wanted to make, remake King Kong. And they were trying to get something started. Now, what happened here, again, this is where some of the conflicting reports come in, is Universal was actually talking to De Laurentiis about making their version of the movie. But then he mm-hmm. went to RKO, who made the original film, and just bought the the rights from them outright and said, here, let me just take that and we'll, we'll kind of run over here and do this. Universal felt like they were getting the short end of the stick here because they already had theirs going. So they sparked up a lawsuit. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. in doing so, and this, I'm briefly touch on this, but if you want to hear more about that, you can go listen to the other podcast. But for whatever reason, they thought that they owned the rights to King Kong. Now, I don't know where they got this idea. I really don't because I've been trying to figure it out because RKO, like I said, they are the ones who made the original movie. So I don't know where Universal got it in their head that they owned King Kong. But they went... Um, they they purchased the rights to the the novelization okay. of so King that, Kong. That may have been... All right. So they had that. At the same time this was going on, Nintendo had released Donkey Kong into the world. So Universal decided to go after them for, you know, copyright infringement. Well, this all backfired Mm -hmm. because of this lawsuit, essentially stating from the judge, they don't own the rights to that. Kong was in public domain. The the novelization that they owned was in public domain. So the everything that was listed within that book, the story about people going to the island and all that, they didn't own it. Anybody could use it. Right. So they shut that down. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is it was Universal themselves who argued in court that the basic idea of King Kong is in the public domain because they were suing Paramount Mm -hmm. or actually, well, Paramount was suing them 
because Universal was making a King Kong movie at the same time Paramount, Paramount right, was making right. a King Kong movie. And so in the court case, Universal argued, well, King Kong's in the public domain. We have the right to make King Kong. So we're going to make a King Kong based on the novel, based right. on the novelization, because that's in the public domain. Mm-hmm. And so they won that case and they were allowed to make their own King Kong movie. But then Donkey Kong comes over right. and Universal says, oh, wait, no, we own the copyright to King Kong. You can't uh, compete with us in, you know, Donkey Kong's too similar to King Kong. The judge basically threw the book at them saying, you just uh, like seven years earlier argued that King Kong was in the public domain. And mm-hmm. now you're coming after this company because you're claiming that they're infringing on your copyright. You can't have it both ways. Exactly. <laughs> yep. And that was it. See, I, I told that story several weeks ago and I've forgotten all about it. But yeah, that's it. That's that's it. Yeah. So it was just it, the whole legal battle between them is ridiculous Mm -hmm. uh so that was just in the pre-production of this movie yeah then you have the actual production of the movie (laughs) Mm -hmm. that they decide they don't want to do stop motion animation the way that they did the first king kong movie from 1933 they wanted to do something different Mm -hmm. okay jaws had just come out not too long before this yeah they wanted to do a big and animatronic gorilla. They spend $1.7 million or $500,000 uh, pounds, mm-hmm. British pounds, to make a 40-foot tall animatronic King Kong. And you'd think after seeing how much trouble they had out of Jaws, that they would have been like, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea. Because there are horror stories about that shark. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and it, that's why you don't see the shark in the movie that much. Exactly. Is because it kept breaking down, kept having problems. And so I don't know where they thought that this four or five, how many, it's it's a, like a five-story tall building mm-hmm. with fur. <laughs> And they expect it to work. And, of course, it doesn't work. In fact, the total amount of time that it spends on screen is 15 seconds. I mean, it's it's impressive. Don't get me wrong that they even went through with it. But you can, when you look at it, you're sitting there thinking, there is no way that would have worked throughout this entire movie. This would have been a sham of a movie. Oh, yeah. Spending $1.7 million in 1976 money Mm -hmm. to make something that's only going to appear on screen for 15 seconds. Well, they didn't know it was going to only appear on on screen for 15 seconds. But still, it's like, that is just crazy. Yeah. And then on top of it, they spent more money making... The giant animatronic arms and hands, which is what we mentioned in the question for the week. Mm -hmm. And those had problems. Yeah. Broke down multiple times, injured the actress multiple times, injured her stunt double multiple times. (laughs) 
And it's just all I'm thinking is, wow, when you're watching this movie and you see the fear in everyone's eyes, it's real fear because they didn't know whether they were going to survive the making of this movie. No kidding. I mean, and I actually wondered, too. I mean, you speak of where Jessica Lane got injured. I think they said it was like a pinched nerve or something that that happened where it was sitting there poking her and hitting her. I wonder if that there's a shot in the movie where that actually happened, like. You could pinpoint and say that's that's yeah. where she got hit, and that's where it, it injured her. And I'm, I've always been curious about that. Yeah, well, there is a scene after she's rescued where she is rubbing her neck, and I kept thinking, is that you know her acting, or is that her saying, "Ow, my neck hurts" because this is right after they shot the scene where I got injured and hurt my neck. <laughs> she could be using it. She could be like, you know what? My neck uh, really hurts. So I'm just going to use this for my acting. It could be a mix of both. Well, listeners, um, just interrupting the podcast real quick to say we have a special guest coming in on the podcast. Uh-oh. It's the podcast cat. <laughs> the cat is back, baby. The cat is back. Daisy, what are you doing? <laughs> She is in here just making all kinds of racket and being destructive. <laughs> Good kitty, kitty, uh, kitty, kitty. <laughs> Daisy, want to say hi to your loyal fans? Good it's like kitty, I'm ready kitty, for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anyway, so um, was there anything else uh, about the production of this movie that you wanted to talk about? Uh, nothing really comes to mind. It, it was just a very interesting, definitely very interesting what they did with that, that, that monstrosity, I guess you'd call it. I would say, I mean, credit to Carlo Rambaldi for, for doing, I mean, if, if you were to look at his, um, filmography of things that he's created, he's done some good work and not to say that this isn't good work. It is, it's impressive. It just didn't work. But he's right. done other stuff that worked wonders, like, for instance, he created E.T. And that worked wonderfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. But this, yeah, I think it was just, it was implausible, especially at the time. Maybe today they could pull it off, but I, I don't see why any studio would when you've got CG to pull that off. Right, yeah. And and it was a huge gamble. Because, yeah. like I said, they spent all this money making all these animatronics and everything. And if this movie had flopped, they would have been out big time. Oh, yeah. For sure. So, I I just... I, I can't believe they took such a huge gamble. But, it you know, it did pay off because the movie ended up being one of the highest grossing movies of 1976. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, worked, it worked out. But, yeah... Um, one thing to note, uh, Rick Baker, I, I want to give a lot of recognition to Rick Baker because Rick Baker did not get a lot of recognition when the movie came out for the work that he did, but he was not the one who built the animatronic. Um, oh yeah. Carlo Rambaldi. Yeah. 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 He's the one that, he's the one that, um, did a lot of the special effects, um, he he's the one that designed the large Kong. He's the one that designed the animatronic uh, hands and everything. And he gets a lot of attention in the credits, but Rick Baker barely gets mentioned. Mm-hmm. Rick Baker though was the person in the suit. That's right. And he mentioned in an interview that the reason he was the one in the suit was because no one was crazy enough to wear the suit but him. 
I did hear some uh, interesting little tidbits. Here's a little sprinkle of trivia facts for you that they were testing other actors or other people, per se, for the Kong suit. Mm -hmm. But um, let's just say their choices were uh, very questionable because for some reason they were only going for African-American actors. And you can imagine that that wasn't quite... um, That was a very bad choice. (laughs) To, yeah. to be like, hey, can you guys jump around like some gorillas? Do you think you could do that? And what do you think they're going to think? I mean, come on. Yeah. So yeah. luckily <laughs> people had some foresight to say, you know what? This is a bad idea. Let's just let that guy do it. And he did He did perfectly fine. In fact, I don't know. I feel like I've heard this and I, I didn't find it in my research, but I'm almost, I can almost swear that I, I heard this. If you go, have you ever seen, or any any of you listeners, maybe even if you've seen it, Travis, um, a movie called, um, oh, come on, brain, Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, yeah. Okay, there's a scene in there with an ape, like a, with an, in an ape suit, and that's Rick Baker. Mm-hmm. And it was a right. self-designed ape suit that he he put together and i i feel like i don't know if it was he used that one and modified it or if it was something that he it was like just the basis for what they used for kong but you can see a lot of kong in that ape suit which i found to be very fascinating because i think that movie came out i think it came out a little bit later than kong but i know that the movie was filmed over a sequence of years so i thought that was kind of interesting yeah yeah um yeah and and there's a there's even a little note that about um rick baker wearing contact lenses to make his eyes look mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. gorilla like so yeah he he went through a lot and he he did a really good job um he was very unhappy with the way that the gorilla suit turned out or the king kong suit turned out and he puts all credit for it looking decent at all yeah. on the cinematographer because he said it did not look good on set uh they made it look good in film <laughs> yeah yeah um and i think that's a good segue into our favorite bits from the movie so what are some of your favorite parts of this movie well i mean we've already mentioned kong rick baker's kong he did a really good job um I'd say a lot of the actors in this movie, they really gave solid performances. I mean, you've got a decent cast. Uh, Jessica Lange, she was, I mean, this is her first movie. She was like plucked from a modeling career, if I'm not mistaken, to be in this movie. Yeah. And that was actually chosen over quite a few actresses, which I was surprised at because there were a handful of well-known names at the time that I think they kind of went through before they chose her. I think they offered it to... Actresses like Melanie Griffith, uh, Bo Derek, Kim Basinger. I don't know if they all were offered and they turned it down, but I think it was a kind of a hit or miss. Even Barbara Streisand, which was an odd choice. I don't know why they went to her. Yeah. I guess they were looking for a name, perhaps. But the one th- yeah. that I thought was very interesting is they mentioned that Meryl Streep auditioned for the role. And yes. Dino De Laurentiis turned her down because he said she was too ugly. But... He said it right. in, in Italian, not knowing she could speak Italian, and she heard it. So, yeah, I know. I think that's hilarious because it's like, yeah, uh, Meryl Streep speaks like 
seven languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so she understands what you're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't know if she would have – I mean, not to say that she wouldn't have been good in that role. I just – I'm glad that it was Jessica Lange. I think she does she does great in what she does. So, And plus, she's pleasing to the eyes. No offense to, to Meryl Streep. I'm not saying – I'm not yeah. agreeing with De Laurentiis by any means, but I'm just saying that – she is a she's quite a treat for the eyes. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm gonna I want to talk about uh, Jessica Lange uh, in a little bit, but um, before we get into that, I'm gonna talk about my favorite part of the movie is definitely the scene when Kong first shows up mm-hmm. when the Islanders take her uh, Jessica Lange and they tie her up. And Kong first shows up. That is such an intense and just brilliantly shot scene. You have all of the drums beating, the chanting, all of this stuff going on. And then as soon as Kong shows up, it just goes dead silent. Yeah. And then you just have this beautiful composite shot of King Kong standing there staring at Jessica Lang tied up in front of him. And mm-hmm. it is... It is great it's shot at night so it you know looks better it hides a lot of the flaws in the suit and everything right it's just great cinematography great scene great use of sound and so that is definitely one of my favorite scenes in the movie i also think that and i don't think it's any uh, a spoiler to anyone that king kong dies at the end of this movie sure because <laughs> <laughs> that you know that's that's king kong right um and I actually really enjoy the death scene because it is very emotional and you get the you get that Rick Baker, the look in his eyes mm-hmm. really sells the emotions that King Kong is feeling when he's being attacked by these airplanes and, and helicopters. Mm-hmm. So I definitely that that's also one of my favorites. But that's really probably the only two things that... Well, no, I take that back. I I enjoy Jeff Bridges in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Jeff Bridges was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I always forget how good of an actor he is until yeah. I see something that he's in. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Jeff Bridges. He's he's actually really good. Yeah, he's always solid. And I... Th- to kind of piggyback off of that, since you're mentioning both of them are our leads, our romantic leads, if you will, I think one thing that I was kind of taking note of as I watched this movie that I, I really liked as far as their story goes is I feel like I, I like how their romance works in this film because it never feels like... I mean, you can kind of understand where she's she's kind of smitten with him, you know, because he helped her, he saved her, hypothetically. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, she's just like, oh, you know, and of course he's probably the only decent-looking guy on the boat. No offense to anybody, I'm just saying. About her age. Mm-hmm. So she kind of latches on to him. So you can kind of understand why she gets that connection to him. But he always seems kind of at a distance with her, like, yeah, I do like you, and you're pretty, and whatnot. But he always seems like yeah. he understands that this will never work, you know. And they don't right. try to force that onto him, which I really think is admirable at the time because they could have easily just said, "Oh yeah, he loves her. It's it's fine." No, he's just like, 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were, there were moments in the dialogue. He's just like, it's never going to be enough. I'm never going to be enough. You are always going to be looking for the next thrill, the next thing. And it's not going to be me. I'm never going to be enough for you. And even at the end, they ne- they don't really technically wind up together. So I appreciate that they didn't force them together because they easily could have. Right. So I, that from, from a writing standpoint, that's one thing I can give them credit for. I'm not going to give them credit for a lot more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's interesting because it's almost like a Romeo and Juliet story of these two that that it's it's not a love story it's a tragedy mm-hmm. because it doesn't end well right for for them you know the they don't end up together she ends up heartbroken and uh she does get her wish of becoming famous everybody's mm-hmm. clamoring to be with her and be you know have pictures with her and everything but it's not what she wanted exactly and the ultimate that's the ultimate tragedy and he doesn't get what he wants because he he wanted to discover this new ape he did but ultimately it led to the death of the new ape mm-hmm. so it's this it is a tragic story so i definitely feel i say the word definitely way too much <laughs> <laughs> um i feel like it, it is a good tragic story and I and I give them credit that the story is solid. To a point. Now transitioning from that into least favorite parts of the movie, I'm gonna contradict you a little bit with my opinion, because I do not like Jessica Lang in this movie. Okay. And I fully you know, I fully understand this is her first movie. It's her first time, you know, being on film and everything. And, she, and you know, for being a damsel in distress, she she gives it her all. Yeah. But anytime she's not with Kong or not being a damsel in distress, she's not carrying any weight in the scenes to me. She's and, and I don't know. Uh, again, I don't know how much of that is on her and how much of it was just on the time period and the way that. She was directed. I mean, she is really the only female character in the entire mm-hmm. movie. And she's essentially just meant to be a damsel in distress or eye candy. But I still just I, I just don't like I don't like the way her character did things in that movie. I thought she seemed too she it almost seemed like she was channeling Marilyn Monroe, mm-hmm. but in a less come hither way and more of a you're just kind of a, a annoying dumb blonde mm-hmm. and i don't mean any offense to jessica lang i definitely don't feel like that is who she is no no, no but no. i feel like that's the character that she was kind of channeling there and i don't know if that was again i don't know if that was her choice or if it was direction she was given well I, but either way i just don't i didn't enjoy it i mean i'll, I'll definitely agree Uh, With what you're, again, I think when I'm saying that she did a good job, I'm saying that with the material she was given, because we, rewatching this movie under a microscope, I I don't think I've really done that as much as I did this time and really picked out a lot of flaws. So kind of backing up what you're saying here, I think 
she did the best with what she could, but there was not a lot for that character because the character, her, I mean, Dwan seems so circumstantial to this entire plot. Like she, there's absolutely no reason she should have been there at all. Right. Because if you look at the way she right. wound up on that boat, it's happenstance. In fact, so much of this movie is just that. It's happenstance because things just happen. Oh, and then we're moving on to this thing and we're moving on to that thing. And it's like, right. are you kidding me? I mean, when you really, really break it down, that's all yeah. it is. So for her, she, I mean, she, she can only do with what she's been given. And that's not a lot because she just has to be there, like you said, yeah. just to be the damsel in distress. And that's all she is. Uh, was there any other uh, parts of the movie that you didn't like or that, that were your least favorite parts? Well, kind of backing up what I was just saying as far as how everything kind of goes down. First of all, her like I said, her arrival on the boat. Just random occurrence. Oh, there's a happens to be a boat floating around. So what are the what are the odds of that happening? I don't know, but they seem very, very right. slim. There w- there was nothing that led that moment to happen other than, hey, there's someone floating around in a boat and we just happen to pass them by. That's just seems like weak writing to me. And then we've got Yeah. And, well, Jack knowing I, I was Go ahead. Uh-huh. Oh, sorry. I just before you moved on from that, I I was I just had a thought um, that uh, when I was watching it, I was thinking that um, how much more interesting would it have been if the ship that she was on had also tried to make it to Skull Island and that it was destroyed in the process and she was lost at sea. And that's what it was. And then it would have connected her to the island and to this expedition that they're on. And, but yeah, I'm with you. It was just like, oh no, it, because it wasn't that. That's not what no. happened. She just was randomly out in the same water that they were in. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at least that would have made a anyway. little bit more sense. Um, yeah. But but I'm sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to, before you moved on from that understood. moment, I had a thought. <laughs> uh, but then there's the knowledge Jack has. I mean, we never really got a sense of what he even knew about Kong, but yet he seemed to know so much. But how did you right. come across this information? And yet he, an island that no one knew anything about, but yet he seemed to know so much about it. it seemed a little bizarre to me. And then I'm trying to think of some other stuff. There was there was like uh, Kong's arrival at the log. He was he was just messing mm-hmm. with Dwan two seconds ago, and then suddenly they're crossing this log, and he's like, "Ah, oh, what are you guys doing here?" And he just shows up randomly. There was, I mean, if they'd have shot a gun right. in the air or something, maybe it would have drawn him to it. But nothing really happened except for maybe. And I'll give this a slight pass: is that Jack shouted to them, "Hey, come on, it's safe." But mm-hmm. even then, are you telling me he was just like right around the corner? So right. The snake showing up when, when you know, they needed, like, Jack was almost there, and the snake shows up, so it gave her an opportunity to get away. I mean, there were just so many little right. moments like that. And even when Fred, <laughs> when Fred died, I don't know if you saw this, yeah. he clearly walked into his path to get stepped on. It's like, what are you doing, man? Mm-hmm. Run the other direction. And But no, he ran directly to right. him and then laid down, like, step on me. And it's like, what are you... I don't know. There was just a lot of stuff like that that bugged me because that just seems like very, very weak writing. I feel like they took so long setting up the first half of this movie and, well, actually the first two-thirds of the movie Mm -hmm. 
And then the last third of the movie was just a mad dash to the end. Yeah. And it was just like, you know what? I almost would have enjoyed this movie more if it was all on Skull Island. Yeah. And they had none of the New York scenes. Mm Mm-hmm. And even... Because... Go ahead. They did so good setting that up. Well, it was just that they did so good setting that up that I'm like, you know, I kind of just want them to stay there because they're having their the best scenes are them on the island. And then the rest of the time, it's just a mad dash right to the end. And you're just rushing, rushing, rushing to the very end. And you don't have time to breathe. Yeah. And there was there was that odd connection. Again, one of those things that just didn't add up in my brain as to why and this this connects so many things i've already mentioned before about jack just having this knowledge in his brain somewhere and then all these other factors coming Mm -hmm. in the world trade center now granted i know that it was new at the time and and they were just like well no screw the the empire state building we want to go bigger we want to go better Mm -hmm. we go to the world trade center but their logic on why he even went there was because it reminded him right. of something from his island. Now, where... And Jack just happened to see this and be like, you know what? That looks like the World Trade Center. And just connect the dots yeah, and uh-huh. say, Kong's going to go there. Why? Why would he go there? Because two buildings kind of resemble two rocks on his... It just uh, didn't make right. any sense. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. So you're stretching yeah. here just for some form yeah. of logic. and And to believe that the mayor of New York or whoever it was was just going to buy this deal and just say, sure, we're going to trust you. We know it. we're going to capture him. Yeah. Like, come on, man, you knew better. So yeah, yeah there are a lot now, of little things like that. that just irk me. And I, I guess they've yeah. never really set into my brain until I was just really meticulously digging. And I, boy, I dug this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, since you brought up about the World Trade Center, um, how do you feel about having Kong climb the World Trade Center instead of the Empire State Building in this film? Uh, I get from a from the standpoint, again, it was the biggest building at the time, and it, it made for some great marketing. I mean, that poster alone was pretty amazing, you know, having him straddle both buildings. Of course, he wasn't that big. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of a, a fib, now wasn't it? But mm-hmm. at the same time, there's something about the Empire State Building that kind of limited Kong in a way. So it really right. made him feel like he was trapped, like he he cornered himself and didn't realize it. There, right? He, I mean, I guess at the same time, he could you could say he trapped himself, but he was able to bounce between both buildings. And he was just an open target, but he could still just kind of be like, well, I'm going to mm-hmm. slide down or I'm going to hop back over here. And he didn't move when he got shot. He just stood there and took it. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, you just fought a guy with a flamethrower two seconds ago. You could pick something up and throw at these things. I understand they're shooting you, but bounce between buildings, yeah. dodge, avoid, whatever. And he didn't. So right. there is something iconic about the Empire State Building, him being on it. And and everything from what they did in the original films to even what Peter Jackson did, it just mm-hmm. works that way. So I understand yeah. it from a logical standpoint at the time, but I don't feel like it was necessary per se. I think it would have actually been kind of interesting to see how they would have done that scene on the Empire State Building with a man in a suit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I... I... 
I can I can agree with that. Um, it would be interesting to see, but uh, I do I do think it's it's really interesting because since this movie had Kong climbing the World Trade Center, and now with in a post nine eleven world, mm-hmm. uh, it actually kind of stands almost like a time capsule of a time when the World Trade Center was fairly new. And because it, it actually the World Trade Center had just been built fairly recent when this movie came mm-hmm. out. So that's one of the things that attracted them to filming there and, and, and having that in the movie instead of the Empire State Building, which reflects also the 1933 movie, because in 1933, the Empire State Building was only like two years old. Yeah. So they had just finished building the Empire State Building when they filmed king kong and had king kong climate and then now they had within just a few years had finished the world trade center and then have king kong climate climb it so i i i find that interesting Mm -hmm. and i kind of like that mirroring thing and i and like i said i like that it kind of you know it's a weird time capsule now for a time when the world world trade center was new and you know and stuff it's you know since you can't see that kind of stuff anymore right using those buildings Mm -hmm. um but at the same time, I do also understand where you're coming from with a, with the Empire State Building. Sure. It's just so iconic. Mm-hmm. I would I would like to kind of touch on one thing that I, I noticed as I was kind of doing a little bit of research. I, I mentioned the poster that they had. I found this one, and I don't think I've ever seen it before, but it just, the way it was laid out, just <laughs> it amused me. Because if you read it a certain way, it just reads differently than what it's supposed to be. First of all, it's the the iconic Kong straddling the buildings, and then up the top it says, the most exciting original motion picture event of all time. But again, one, it's not original. Uh, two, I don't really know how exciting it is, but we'll, we've been talking about that. But it's at the bottom, it says the title, King Kong, but at the bottom it says, for Christmas. So it's like, King Kong for Christmas. And it just came off like, okay, well, you kind of just should have just said Christmas as your release date instead of for Christmas. Yeah. Because you can kind of put a little Santa hat on him. It's like, keep off for Christmas. Coming yeah. soon to a theater near you. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of interesting choices in this, in the marketing, in the... Get, which which is interesting, and, and we can get into fun facts in a, in a little bit, but... Um, one you know, real quick fun fact about this movie, this was one of the first movies where they really did the marketing way in advance mm-hmm. of the movie coming out. Because up to this point, you know, a movie would be advertised maybe shortly before it's released and mostly once it's released. Mm-hmm. But they really, a year ahead of time, were marketing this movie and pushing for it because they were trying to drum up you know, a lot of that uh, excitement for it. I uh I definitely I think that's interesting and I I think it's interesting too when you look at uh this movie in the time period that it's in because it's it's just like right after Jaws but right before 6 months before Star Wars comes out. Right. So it's kind of in this nebulous world of post blockbuster but before that real blockbuster that like really changes the world mm-hmm. 
and I think that's just a, a really interesting time period that this movie is is came out in. And I think that's really interesting when you're watching this movie in the context of, wow, this movie is, you know, post Jaws, but right before Star Wars. And so how much the the world of filmmaking is changing. Right, right. At this time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, do you want to do fun facts or do you want us to do our rating for the movie first? Uh, let's do some trivia real quick before we get into our ratings. Because I got a few. Okay. I think we've touched on a few uh, interesting little tidbits yeah. that I thought were easy to kind of slide in. But I thought a few. I was trying to, to jot down some of the more interesting ones because I feel like there were a lot. But sometimes, man, when you find trivia bits, I feel like it's... They don't come off as trivia bits. They come off with somebody's opinion on things. And it's like, that's not a fact. That's your opinion. But uh, one fact that I found or a little trivia bit that I found that I found very interesting and did not know this, but the vocalizations, I'm not saying necessarily his roar, but I I think it's more like his grunts and growls Mm -hmm. and things like that. They were actually recorded Mm -hmm. by Peter Cullen who people may know as right. Optimus Prime. And yeah. he recorded so much, and, and I guess it strained his vocal cord so bad that he was actually coughing up yeah. blood in the recording studio. And I was like, wow. And yeah, after I, I had read that, I was listening for it. And I guess if if you know his, his tenor, if you know his, his voice, you can you can catch glimpses of it. Like you can tell, yeah. okay, yeah, I can, I can see that being him. So I, I found that to be very interesting because he's not credited in it, just like uh, Rick Baker right. wasn't credited. So that was, that was fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, I found that really interesting too because uh, as a voice uh, acting kind of nerd, because I, I, I just I'm a nerd about voice acting and voice actors and stuff hearing that peter cullen was the one who did all the vocalization for kong was really interesting because i he's one of my favorite voice actors Mm -hmm. i just i love him but uh yeah and and hearing what he went through like you said he was his voice was bleeding his heart was bleeding from it so just like it, it the amount of pain and suffering everyone went through in making this no movie. <laughs> it's crazy. People gave their blood oh. for this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another fun fact is uh, Faye Ray was actually, if you don't know who Faye Ray is, she was the original damsel in distress in the original King Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was offered a cameo, but she turned it down because she didn't like the script. And uh, I'm kind of yeah. with her. <laughs> I can yep. understand. Yep. Uh, what else? Yep. Got? Um, I've got a little bit of trivia. Um, the scene where uh, Dwan mm-hmm. is uh, floating in the raft when they first discover her, that was filmed down in California, and it was freezing cold, and she was soaking wet in that, so it was uh, really painful and, and hard for her to shoot that scene. But they actually had sharks circling her raft Mm. while she was in the water that when they were filming it they noticed there were a few sharks that had swam around to kind of check out what they were doing there um and so it's like yeah Mm. uh. i mean as we as we know the the shark myth about them being 
you know, vicious man eaters has been kind of quelled over the years. But right. again, I, I don't want to be in a boat, especially an inflatable boat with a shark nearby, just in case. You never know. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather not. Uh, yeah. What, there was one other trivia bit that I had that I, f- I don't want to get political, okay? But you brought it up. And I guess I, I, w- I would like to hear your take on this because okay. there's there's something about it that irks me a little bit. Is that after, since, you know, the World Trade Center was prominent, after September 11th happened, Paramount Pictures actually pulled all the retail copies of the DVD that were released because it the cover was the original artwork of him straddling the towers and then replaced mm. it with a different cover, which if you've ever seen that cover, they did not even try. They just said, put Kong on it, it'll be fine. And it's, you go yeah. from an iconic, because I really feel like, just just like so many others, there's something iconic about that that poster. It's a, I mean, artwork back then, especially for a lot of movies, when they had those, those hand-painted, there are so many great movie posters when they used to really take their time and effort and really make them pop. And that was one of them. Right. And so so they pulled that because people were, I I guess this is what I want to kind of put out there because I feel like at that point you're saying, well, this didn't happen. We're trying to erase history. And I feel like if they could have removed the towers from the movie, they would have done it. And I feel like that's wrong. It's like you said, it's a time capsule. This it's, they're there in the movie. It's, you can't hide from it. I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not trying to condone anything that happened. I'm not trying to say that I do not care. But I feel as though trying to hide that is trying to erase it. And I just I feel like that's wrong. But I do understand the mindset that, you know, people are going to be sensitive if they see it. But again, you're trying right. to erase something that existed at least that's the way i see it now right. now i would love to hear someone else argue a counterpoint to that but i would i mean what yeah. what's your what's your take on that well i because i'm not from new york mm-hmm. so for me it's kind of hard to you know to say you know for for sure how it would have affected me if i was you know a new yorker and having gone through the actual tragedy of being there when when 9-11 happened. But um, uh, I, I'm on your side uh, more where it's like you can't erase the fact that they exist. And, and I am glad that they couldn't cut them out of the movie mm-hmm. completely because, like we said, it, it is like a time capsule. Now you have this movie that is weirdly a nice almost like a tribute yeah. to the world trade center um, because it is so heavily featured at the end of this movie, uh, knowing that it's no longer there um, or at least, you know, the version mm-hmm. that's in the movie is no longer there. Um, but at the same time, I understand why they would want to maybe take it out of the marketing or, well, not the marketing, but just like the, the poster and stuff, why they might want to change that because, especially when it first happened right that there's so many emotions and so many things going on in people's heads that maybe you know you don't want to be insensitive by showing a monster 
straddling the buildings and, and stuff. Fair enough. Now, nowadays, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Right. Yeah, you know, we've had enough time now we're removed from it. But I can understand, like, right after it happened. It's, it's the same thing with the, the Spider-Man yeah. trailer mm-hmm. uh, for the original Spider-Man movie. That that was in the marketing. And because it was coming out right when, you know, like, within a year or so after it happened, I understand why they would want to take that. Yeah scene out why they'd want to take that marketing down and stuff but nowadays you know it's different you know now that it's we're far enough removed from it mm. i can understand no you know let the poster be the poster and let let the you know scenes be the scenes and i think that's that's the tragedy of movies where they do remove it from the actual film itself is that you know a few years down the line 10 years down the line 20 years down the line people are not going to have that same necessarily emotional uh reaction to seeing the twin towers right in the movie and you're going to miss out on having them featured in it and having this nice uh time capsule because you were reactionary and taking them out so you know so i kind of am glad in this movie they were allowed to stay in they couldn't remove those scenes completely and we do have them Mm -hmm. to look at them and remember them and see the see the buildings and see the the uh the way they used to be okay yeah no i i can i can agree with that because again like you said with spider-man that was understandable it was it was happening right then and there the movie wasn't out yet understandable but mm-hmm. yeah I, I really feel like if they if they would have had the opportunity they would have found a way and it would have just been it's i just don't feel like you should erase yeah. the past because, like you said, we can see it as it was at the time. And that's that's great. I mean, I wish yeah. I had pictures of, of scenery that I remember being so much different when I was a child mm-hmm. versus today. Just so I could kind of look upon that. And I was like, I remember that. I remember when it was just empty field. And now there's commercial buildings all over the place. You know, it's it's just nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, interesting history. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and give our ratings for the movie. Um, again, uh, for anybody who's not aware, our rating is out of five Godzukis. Godzuki is Godzilla's dim-witted nephew from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon from the 60s and 70s. And uh, we Godzuki! <laughs> <laughs> so, um, out of five Godzukis, what would you give... God uh, or King Kong, nineteen seventy six. Uh, hmm. Well, let's see here. I'm trying to stay within reason of kind of how I've laid out so many of the other films thus far since we've done two. And I, I'd, I'd say if this was any other time, I probably would have given it a higher rating. If I had just walked into this blind and said, "Yeah, I remember this movie's awesome." Because I didn't really dissect it like I did this time. And I gave, what did I give? Gave Beast from 20,000 Fathoms three, uh, I think is what I gave Yeah, it. three. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three. This is going to hurt, but I've got to give this two and a half. Because while there are so many good things going on, 
I, I've got to say that it's the script and the story as a whole is just, it's got a lot of problems. Got a lot of problems logistically that I feel like I was a little bit more forgiving with the beast from 20,000 Fathoms because at least I never questioned a lot of the logic of the things they were doing and how things progressed. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna give this a slightly lower because of that, but yeah. I do I do love Kong I do love the the suit and everything, but there's a lot wrong with this movie. Yeah, I, and I think I think I'm gonna give it two and a half. Godzuki's. I just they're they're really, and, and it's no secret that I'm not the biggest King Kong fan. But this this was the King Kong that I grew up. Yeah, on. yeah, same. You know, this was, yeah, this was the only King Kong movie other than the 1933 one that was around when I was growing up. So this was the King Kong that I grew up watching, and and, and I like Kong in this for what he is, and I like the scenes with Kong in it. But outside of that and Jeff Bridges, I there's not much in this movie that I actually liked or mm-hmm. enjoyed. Um, so I, I just, I have to give it like a two and a half. It's, it really, it, it, it's not the greatest movie in the world to me. (laughs) And I don't know if that's my, my opinion might be colored by how much work I had to go through to be able to watch this movie. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I'm going to have to give it just a two, 2.5. I think, I think if you watch it and just kind of admire the technical achievements from it. It's it's definitely worth a watch for that alone. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking yeah. for logic in your story, you're gonna have to look elsewhere because some of it just does not add up. Yeah, and, and if and because this is a giant monster themed pod podcast, uh, just the fact that the monster doesn't show up for the first hour of the movie mm-hmm. is is kind of a is a deal breaker for me too. It's like you know that's that's it's a little slow getting to the monster and then the last the last uh act of the movie is just a mad rush to the death scene and it's just like no it's just not yeah it's not good i think the technical aspects like you said are good but outside of that i don't think there's much that this movie offers no um there is one more thing that i did want to bring up i meant to bring this up in trivia i forgot but it is interesting to me to note that this is the most modern story that God's uh, I keep saying Godzilla the King Kong has ever been in that is true uh because if you if you look at well just as a from actual years that the movies are set mm-hmm. in if you look at the original King Kong movie it was set in 1933 if you look at and I'm talking about King Kong proper. You know, we'll talk about some of the little side ones okay. and, and weird spinoffs and stuff later. But but the original one was in 1933. Then you had this movie in 1976. The Peter Jackson one came out in 2005, but was set in the 1930s. Right. And then the uh, Kong Skull Island was set in 1973. That's right. So the most recent history of Kong has been 1976. <laughs> we have never seen outside of maybe the spinoffs and, and weird little side stories. We've never seen King Kong proper in a year later 
1976. <laughs> that is true. It's true. And and I find that really interesting. I mean, I would like, I don't know if I would like to see it. I would be curious how you would even do a modern Kong story because I that's actually where I give Skull Island a right. lot of credit as I just said, do we really want to retell that story in modern day? Do we want to? And the fact that they even went back a little farther was, it was a nice treat. It, it was definitely yeah. something because they could have easily just said, okay, it's Kong and it's 2016 and what do oh, we yeah. do? No, I mean, it was it was much more fun to right. kind of play around with the timeline. So, yeah, I, I, I give that. That's oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah, and, and, and that's not a criticism. No. I just found it, you know, that's an interesting tidbit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that that makes me more excited for Kong versus Godzilla. Right. Because... That's that's going to be the first time that we see Godzilla or uh, I keep saying Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> the first time we see King Kong in a modern setting. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, you know, I'm excited for that. Well, since you mentioned the spinoffs, I even forgot Our... that I had this little bit, but I just I wanted to touch on these real quick and then we'll we'll get out of here. But I, I found this to be mm-hmm. interesting. Now, this movie does have a sequel, but we'll talk about that later. But there were other proposed sequels for this movie. Would you like to hear some of the titles? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I just just from a planning standpoint, I want to know what this movie would have been or what these movies would have been because there's only one that really catches my eye that I think I actually would want to see. But anyway, uh, one proposed sequel was King Kong in Africa. Don't don't know why he's in Africa. Don't know why. <laughs> okay, King Kong in Moscow, which is raises even more questions. Why is he in Moscow? Don't know, but he's there. Uh, the Bionic Kong, which something tells me. Oh, man. Something tells me that the idea for the sequel of this movie kind of came uh-huh. slightly from this, ever so slightly, because uh, I'm going to I'm going to touch on the the sequel to a little bit kong survives and so the idea i guess here would have been what if we do the six million dollar man the bionic woman but it's with kong and we we replace him and and turn him into a bionic kong wouldn't that be something so i guess that would have been kind of fascinating to see maybe i don't know i don't know what you would do beyond that after turning him in and we know how yeah and we know how popular and well done mechanic kong was so that's true kong was... <laughs> okay i still love mechanic so it'd be it would be the bionic kong but it would be mechanic kong okay i see where they're going with that never mind uh and the last one <laughs> which i'm really surprised this didn't happen i think it, this was actually just because it was shot down by whoever had the rights to kong at the time probably had something to do with this but i'm really surprised this didn't happen mm-hmm. King Kong versus Orca. Now, I don't know if we'll talk about this movie on the podcast mm. at all, but Orca was a Jaws ripoff that De Laurentiis produced in Italy, I think it was. And it was a giant killer whale movie. It was. It's really... Uh-huh. I don't really know what to say about that movie. Um, but seeing Kong fight a giant <laughs> killer whale, that would have been kind of cool. I guess. Yeah. So 
Yeah, one kind of fascinates me a little bit. I think I kind of would have wanted to see that, but I don't know. It could have been terrible. Yeah, but... Uh, oh, yeah, no. I, 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 yeah, I would have. I would yeah, have, too. Th- there's <laughs> a fascination to it. You're just like, okay, it would be interesting, maybe. I don't know. But it never happened, so yeah. maybe it's for the best. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, if there's nothing else that we have to say for... King Kong 1976. We can go ahead and close out uh, this episode of Kaiju Weekly. Um, we're not going to dive into the mailbag this week because we don't really have any new messages from anybody. Um, but that's also a good time to let everybody know that if you want to send us an email, you can do that at kaijuweekly at gmail.com. And if you want to tweet us, you can tweet us at kaijuweekly on Twitter. And uh, if you send us a tweet or an email, we'll read it out on the podcast. So, you know, send us over any kind of little thoughts that you might have. We'll read it out. Uh, Also want to remind everybody that you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, it would really help us be discovered by more people. And we want more people to discover us so that they can be introduced to the wide world of giant monster movies. Mm -hmm. And before we close out the entire episode, I'm going to give the trivia question that's going to hint at our next episode. So, the trivia question for next week is, what Japanese superhero was originally going to be named Red Man? Red Man like the And I will give you an extra... and uh i'll give you another hint it's a tv show from the 60s and he was originally going to be called red man red man what tv show superhero japanese superhero is that and if you answer that question even if you get the question wrong we will still read out your answer on the podcast because we appreciate you reaching out to us and taking part in our fun little trivia stuff. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else that you want to say? I'm golden. All right. Well, then I will close out by saying help control the giant monster population and giant gorilla population. Have your gorillas and giant monsters spayed or neutered. They failed to do that in the sequel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that would have solved a lot of the problems in this movie. Right? <laughs> okay, bye guys. See you next week. Bye.